has his say, you can have yours. Text us or call us and join the conversation. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. Dog Morning Show, hour number dos for a Friday edition of the Big Gig. Lots to do in this hour. John Devlin coming by from the Wheeling Symphony. We're going to talk about Violins of Hope coming up next weekend. Uh, Bill Bryson is in from Uniglobe, Ohio Valley Travel. We'll talk about their Northern European trip that uh, Bill just came back from. Lots of neat stuff he's uh, been uh, telling me about and look forward to having uh, sharing that with us. Uh, then next hour, it's John McCabe and I and the Ohio Valley Friday Roundtable. Looking at a bunch of local news. 47 degrees right now, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. 45 at the Highlands. 43 in Elm Grove. And 46 degrees here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios, downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley. Going to be a pretty nice day. Uh, sunshine, uh, highs 70-ish, maybe a little bit into the 70s. Not bad. Uh, tomorrow, rain begins, and rain stays with us a good bit over the next several days. Rain, maybe some thunderstorms tomorrow. Uh, in the 60s tomorrow, rain and into the 50s for much of the weekend and uh, going into the beginning of next week. So that's what you have to look forward to here uh, weather-wise. I don't know about you, Howard, but I'm going to stock up on uh, Campbell's tomato soup, cheese, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, for our yeah. grilled cheese and uh, tomato soup. Sounds like one of those weekends. Tail end of the show yesterday, uh, Bill, uh, not Bill, but uh, uh, Bob Westfall mentioned he had stopped at Neely's yesterday. Got sausage, gravy, and biscuits. Well, you know. That was all it took for me to, on the way home from, from work, pick up sausage, gravy, and biscuits. I bought the family size, so it wasn't just for yesterday. I've got some left over for today. Did you stop in, Howard, or did you drive through? I ordered and picked up. Oh, I got you, because I was wondering if our old friend Charlie Ballews happened to be down at Neely's. I haven't seen Charlie for so long. Have you seen him? At Neely's. I don't know if he gets He's, up as early like he used to, but if you're listening, uh, Charlie, good morning, Mr. Charlie Ballews. Good morning, Charlie. You can't lose the Charlie Ballews, yeah. except by twos. And, uh, and Charlie, we do, as in all seriousness, my friend. We love you, Charlie. We do love you, and we do miss you. And, uh, and uh, you know, last I saw him, he was uh, using a cane, I guess, wandering around a good bit. Uh, let's see, a couple of texts on the Frio Stack Auction Service text line, 304-214-1600, 304-214. 214-1600. I can't get this to work. There we go. Uh, the Frio Stack Office Service text line. Let's see. Highlights of the week. We did them last hour, right? Highlights of the week, the things that you and I thought were uh, some of the highlights we had of this past week. Off uh, the text line, highlight of the week to me was the one day where you spent an entire 30 minutes without talking about food. <laughs> when, when, when was that? I don't know. When was that? I'm not sure. When. We must have had a donut that morning, so yeah. we weren't as hungry. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like my text line all went away. I had a whole bunch of other ones. 
and uh, they went away. Question, we're talking about the homeless camp, um, the a group of homeless advocates uh, led by Kate Marshall from the House of Hagar. Uh, I don't know if protest isn't the right word. They assembled outside Wheeling City Hall uh, a- asking that the plans to close up the East Wheeling homeless camp be put on hold until the freeze shelter has time to open. That camp is where there were some legal issues. Uh, this is where I believe the guy with the machete was wandering around and so on. Uh, and uh, Bob Heron ordered Melissa Adams to close it down. And they had to give two weeks' notice, and they have done that. Uh, but the homeless group yesterday said, hey, um, can, can we wait until the free shelter opens up? And Bob Heron, who makes this, Bob, Bob I, I, again, wisely, I think, said, yeah, okay, that's all right. As long as you guys don't have, you guys, as long as the people at that camp do not continue, don't cause any more problems, no more violence, uh, no more you know, dumping your trash, et cetera. If you be good, that's fine. You can stay there at least until the free shelter office. So that's very good. Now we got a text here asking a question. Uh, does the homeless camp have a dumpster? Short answer is no. Bob Heron made that point yesterday. There is no dumpster at that camp. However, the city provides trash bags. And if they, if the homeless folks at that camp put their trash in the trash bags, the city will pick it up as part of trash pickup. Okay, and I think that's good. But that's, don't that's you think acceptable. a dumpster would be better where you just throw your stuff in there and well, be done I think, with it? And, you know, I am going to next week talk about one of my ideas on how to fix this problem. Uh, it's more long-term than this. But if you're just talking about keeping the camp open until December 15th when uh, the um, free shelter opens, uh, okay, I, that's fine. You know, at some point, if it was going to be open forever. I think a dumpster wouldn't make sense. But one of the complaints I've been hearing, Howard, is not only the violence, but the trash, you know, the litter. So I'm thinking a dumpster there saying, look, everybody needs to clean up a little bit, maybe would help them do that. Yeah. Well, and again, if there, if it's going to be long term, I, I would agree. I, again, I have what I think is a, I didn't come up with this. Someone suggested this to me, a reasonable long term solution. I'll bring it up next week because we don't have time to get into it right now. Um, and I invited, and I don't think he's dodging me. I don't think. A couple of days ago, I asked Mayor Elliott if he would come with us, come on the show to talk about the homeless situation. Uh, remember, he was with us a week or so ago, and I invited him to talk about homeless and other things. We got to the other things, didn't get to the homeless situation. So I invited him, uh, I think on Wednesday, to come in and talk to us about the homeless, and I've never heard back from him. Uh, I don't think he's dodging me. I, the mayor very seldom will do that. I'm assuming he just is maybe hasn't checked his messages or something, but uh, I want to spend some time on this next week when we have more time. It's been a busy week right now. Uh, 8.15 here on the Watchdog Morning Show. We should be hearing from John Devlin coming up next from the Wheeling Symphony. Why? Just think about it. Why is the number one selling brand of chainsaws not sold at Lowe's or the Home Depot? We can give you over 10,000 reasons. That's how many authorized local steel dealers you can find across the country. Visit one and you'll find a range of dependable gas and battery powered tools from trimmers to blowers. And you'll find service from experienced professionals. Real Steel. Find yours at SteelUSA.com. 
Lowe's and Home Depot are trademarks of their respective companies. How much could a cyber attack cost your business? The costs stemming from a cyber attack can vary tremendously, but are extremely significant. Recent studies have shown that the average cost of a data breach to small business can range from $120,000 to $1.2 million. In addition to financial loss, companies also suffer downtime, lost opportunities, and data recovery expenses that can all quickly add up. Could your organization survive a cyber incident? If you are unsure if you are doing enough to protect your data, reputation, and dollars from cyber criminals, contact the team at Omni Strategic Technologies today. Omni has the right tools and support to help keep your business protected. Call 304-242-7600 and schedule your free consultation today or visit omniperforms.com. Omni Strategic Technologies, the only cybersecurity and advisory firm that the watchdog trusts. Last year, they took on the NFL and beat the spread. This season, they plan on doing it again. If you want to cash in, tune in every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 for Good Old Boys on Sports with Bear and Bob here on the Watchdog Radio Network and the All Sports Saturday morning. Good Old Boys is all we'll ever be. a hospital rising up to the challenges of today's healthcare demands. WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital delivers the right care close to home. Developing new and exclusive services, recruiting top surgeons, featuring the highest level of orthopedic surgery, improving healing, rehab time, and outcomes. Offering innovative heart care through our WVU Heart and Vascular Institute. Establishing outstanding urology services with a highly experienced urologist and staff. Providing comprehensive, world-class women's health services. And equipping the WVU Cancer Institute at Wheeling Hospital with cutting-edge science for the highest standard of care. We embody the Mountaineer spirit, building upon strong traditions, moving forward with compassion. WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital, delivering the right care at the right place at the right time. Great conversation continues now on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, when, when I was young, was so much younger than today. Sixty years ago today, the phrase Beatlemania was created. Uh, it was created uh, in London, in England, I should say, before the boys from Liverpool showed up here on our shores. Uh, Beatlemania made its way through Liverpool and through uh, the European continent and then came over here. But Beatlemania, 60 years ago today, the phrase was coined. 819, and that's why we are featuring the music of the Beatles as our bumper music. Uh, all morning long this morning. 819 here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Wheeling Symphony uh, Music Director uh, John Devlin is here with us. John, good morning, sir. Hi, Howard. Thanks for having me as always. Always good to have you on the line. Uh, John, I, I'm not sure what word to use. I guess fortuitous. What a fortuitous scheduling of Violins of Hope for next week, given that we are spending 
so much time in our news world focusing on Israel and on the Jewish people. That's a really beautiful observation, Howard, because one thing that I don't love about the way symphony orchestras are set up is that we aren't very nimble. These concerts are planned years in advance. We're creating schedules that incorporate artists for this concert from Germany, from Los Angeles, and from all over the United States. Um, but sometimes art mirrors the world. And uh, last, uh, last spring of 2021, we um, did a festival of ideas around the topic of um, the intersection of politics and music. And my focus in that was uh, Russian aggression during the Soviet Empire. And we performed the music of Shostakovich on the day that the Ukraine was invaded. And that felt, you know, like you said, fortuitous would be a good word so that we could examine what that meant in terms of a historical context. So to do that again this week with the news of what's happening from Gaza and Israel um, feels especially appropriate. And we're going to take this very seriously as a community as we examine this topic. I, I thought the Violins of Hope, when I heard it was scheduled, was going to be an impactful performance and uh, an impactful week, really, because you have some things associated with it. Uh, but again, it triples up the impact of being now in the midst of this, uh, the Hamas attack on Israel. Uh, and probably here in the Ohio Valley right now, there is a greater awareness of Israel and the Jewish people and their connection to that state, uh, and even going back to the Holocaust, than we probably have had in a long time. I mean, the average person's awareness is heightened dramatically right now. I agree. Um... Earlier this week, I went to an interfaith ceremony hosted by Temple Shalom and Rabbi Leaf, and there was not a spare seat yep. in the entire social hall and sanctuary at the temple. Um, Jews and Gentiles alike are coming together to support our friends and neighbors here in what is an incredibly difficult time for those with connection to Judaism and to Israel. Um, the rabbi himself shared many stories of his personal connection there and people that he knows that he does not know if they are alive or dead right now. And it's the type of thing that, um, as a cultural organization in the city, the Wheeling Symphony takes very seriously our mission, which is to unite and to educate, um, as well as entertain. And here, I think that uniting and that education is going to take center stage over the next seven days through our program. Rabbi Leaf uh, was a guest on this show earlier this week, and then, uh, of course, at the Interfaith Service. Uh, the passion that he has, and understandably so, uh, the passion and the ability he has to articulate that passion uh, is, is, really a, uh, is really something special. Um, and you really, you really feel the passion. You feel the heat coming from someone who is so deeply tied to the country of Israel and to what's happening to it uh, right now. And I, he's just a, uh, a, a tremendous, what's the word? I start to say a lightning rod. That's not right. Uh, just a tremendous figure to be standing up and for us to take a look at during, during this period of time. But, John, let's talk about Violins of Hope. This is, uh, they, these are literally violins. Uh, restored instruments from the Holocaust, right? That's correct. There's an organization called Violence of Hope that for decades have worked to reclaim and then restore instruments used during the Holocaust by Jews in concentration camps, Jews that were displaced from their homes, 
And one of the things that the Nazi Party allowed them to do was to form musical groups, even as large as orchestras, because, frankly, it, it kept them distracted from trying to escape or rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this organization has spent countless hours once they've obtained the instruments and restoring them to the most uh, playable condition possible. And so they go around the world, and especially around the United States, bringing this collection to cities to embed within the community and and prompt these type of conversations we're going to have, in addition to providing them to orchestras like ours to play the instruments during the concerts. So just this week, I was able to hold one of these instruments in my hand for the first time. And normally, Howard, you know, I don't have too much of a problem describing the way I feel about things when we have our talks, but I I don't have any words for what it meant to, especially this week in our, in our history as a world, hold an instrument that had um, both blood in its DNA and, hope. And I think that there's a way for us through the music to describe those feelings that we can't with words. You know, this may be one of the most powerful concerts we've had in a long time that shows the the power of music to create hope. Uh, I, I, I love your phrase. I hate that it is a phrase, but I love the phrase you use there. Uh, violins that were, uh, you know, in a sense, about blood and hope both in them. I, I ask you this when we previewed this in our last conversation, when we previewed the whole season. Uh, right. I, I wonder how the performers will feel, perfor- your, your violinists will feel holding the instruments. I, I would think there's a, um, I don't know what, an adjustment period, a, a moment of silence, a moment of um, soaking that in that's going to have to occur. Yes. You know, the moment my, my, my hands touched the wood of the violin, uh, tears welled up for me. And then we, I think that the struggle that we might all have, but artists are especially good at this, is transcending that initial reaction and thinking, how can we help other people through our art? And so, yes, it is a tragic thing that happened and that the people who suffered experienced. But if they who were experiencing it directly could put those feelings of fear, terror, hopelessness aside and make music with these violins, it's incumbent upon us to find that next stage of meaning um, and transmit those feelings of positivity for the future, or at least or at least solidarity in a vision for the future that can be delivered through the music. So I know that our players, when they hold the violins this coming week in the Capitol Theater, will probably go through a whole phase of emotional spectrum. Um, but for me, very quickly, it became resoluteness that what we're doing is more important than ever. And some concerts we, we, we present, we try to entertain. Um, Sutton Foster did that, and then some concerts have an even deeper societal meaning, and and it's and we can do both here at the Wheeling Symphony. Um, you're not going to just feature the violins of hope, uh, but there also will be music from uh, Jewish composers. Will be a key part of what you're doing this week, next week, actually, right? That's correct. So um, there are three pieces on the program. Um, one of the things that 
we care very much about at the symphony is highlighting the stories of our individual musicians. And our principal clarinetist for many, many years, Roy Mazarin, um, during the day, his job is as a vice president for the Jewish Federation of Pittsburgh from Israel. His grandparents were murdered in concentration camps during the Holocaust. And even before um, the events of this this week, he was going to play an integral role in telling the personal story of his that is attached to the tragedies of the 1930s and 40s. Um, now, um, his role is even more important as he will begin the concert playing a piece in tribute to his grandparents that he chose himself and that we are very proud to um, share with everyone called the Pastoral Verrier by a Jewish composer named Paul Benheim. So you can imagine how powerful that will be as he speaks from the stage and tells the story of his family and its connection to the trauma of the Holocaust. Um, And then next is perhaps the most significant project that I will have uh, overseen at the Wheeling Symphony in my now four and a half years at the helm, Um, a piano concerto by a man named Walter Breest. And I described this story to you last time, Howard, but I'll just briefly recap it again. Um, this, This man fled Nazi Germany, speaking no words of English, as one of the most prominent composers in Germany at the time. And he moved to West Virginia and became the head of a conservatory of music that at that time existed in Charleston. We went to an archive in Vienna, um, a close collaborator of mine, Michael Ellis Ingram, lives there and went to the archive and found the work that we will premiere, give the first ever performance in history of at the Capitol Theater in six days' time of a piano concerto in A minor. Um, his Walter Breach's daughter, his niece and his granddaughter are coming to Wheeling from Indiana, where they live, to hear this performance. And we are going to be able to um, give birth to this piece, not just in a normal way, but playing the violins of hope. Um, it's hard for me to describe a more meaningful performance, especially as we keep saying, given the circumstances in our world right now. Um, so that will be quite special. And then after intermission, we'll come back with Felix Mendelssohn, a name that's familiar to classical music fans, his third symphony. And while he lived about 100 years before the Holocaust, he was born a Jew to German citizens of Jewish heritage. At the age of seven, it was forced upon him to be baptized as a Protestant in order to not suffer the effects of anti-Semitism, even 100 years before the Holocaust would happen. And throughout his life, he struggled with this dual identity with his family, embracing the Jewish cultural traditions of his family, but worshiping as a Protestant so that his family would be safe. And in fact, he even changed his last name from Mendelssohn to Bartleby to mask his Jewish heritage. So, you know, this is not something that was new in the 1940s. This had been brewing for um, more than a century in in, in Germany, and we're going to look at all aspects of anti-Semitism through the lens of our music next week. Now, the Violins of Hope concert itself will be next, um, what, Friday? Thursday? What what day is it? it? It's correct that we are not on our normal schedule, which is normally Friday, um, because of our, you know, outreach to our Jewish community for whom Friday night attendance at a concert is impossible. We have moved the concert to Thursday night. So we look forward to making sure that everyone who would like to attend knows that the concert is Thursday night, the 19th at 730. And there will be a 6 p.m. 
talk in the Capitol Theater Ballroom, free to all, for those of, of you who would like to see the violence of hope and hear in presentation on their significance. And leading up to that, you have, you're going to be doing a couple of, uh, of things in the community uh, leading up to that before the concert itself, right? That is correct. Uh, today is the start of our Festival of Ideas, a multi-day exploration in different formats of the ideas that we hope to encapsulate in our concert on Thursday. So the first one is today at 1230 at the Ohio County Public Library, part of their Lunch with Books series, where myself, um, Rabbi Roe Mazzari, our principal clarinetist, whom I referenced earlier, and Barb Lewine, a member of our community who is both a docent for the Violence of Hope Project and a Holocaust educator, um, will share the stage to discuss with interested members of our community the types of topics that we have here. We're going to look at today's current events through the lens of art and music, as well as the historical ones. Um, after that, on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Temple, there will be a recital given by members of our orchestra and our community playing music by Jewish composers, as well as having some context provided by artistic and religious leadership, including the rabbi himself. Um, on Tuesday, the 17th at 7 p.m. at the Stifle Fine Arts Center, there will be a recital of music by Jewish composers by our guest artist, pianist Dominic Cayley, for this uh, week. And then last but not least, I already mentioned this, but I'll repeat it as the final member of our uh, series of events here. Uh, Thursday, October 19th, 6 p.m., concert talk free for all at the Capitol Theater Ballroom. Uh, for those who still want to buy tickets, they can do that, uh, 304-232-6191. Doing that from memory, I think I'm right, correct? You got it, Howard. And then um, the website is Um There are tickets available, and we hope that everyone who is listening today um, will feel the importance of this week and this event and join us in the Capitol on Thursday. I'm never sure. I, I do not know quite how to phrase this because I always say something like, looks like it's going to be a really entertaining concert. Everybody can go and enjoy it. And I guess all of those words are still valid. But this shadowed, shadowing the laying under the shadow of what's happened in Israel, this you know, enjoyable, entertaining, maybe aren't quite the right words, but I think it's an important concert. It will be an impactful concert um, and uh, uh, musically enjoyable, at least, and, uh, and maybe reflective. I don't know. Are those all reasonable words for me to use? They are. And, of course, another thing that is extremely true about the Jewish people is that they are resilient and they are artists. And we are going to bring that resiliency and that art to make sure that we pay tribute to the name of this project, which is not violence of, hol of the Holocaust. It's violence yeah. of hope. Right. Um, hope will be spread through this music for better understanding and more love in our world. John, I appreciate your time, as I always do. We'll talk to you again soon, but um, uh, look forward to uh, the concert uh, next week and some of the other events as well. Hope folks will attend them and, and think and, uh, and enjoy at the same time. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me, Howard. John Devlin, music conductor of the Wheeling Symphony. Uh, coming up next, Bill Bryson, just back from Northern Europe. I followed that trip with some of my Facebook friends. It looked like a great trip. We'll talk about that, sights and sounds of Northern Europe uh, with Bill Bryson. Uniglobe Highlight Travel is next. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this October the 13th. A federal grand jury in Wheeling has indicted 18 people in the northern panhandle on serious drug charges. These cases involve the entire northern panhandle. The two most serious cases involved fentanyl being trafficked in the Weirton area. These two suspects were allegedly selling here but weren't from here. 
39-year-old Jared Unk Henry and 38-year-old Stephen Sleepy Price were both from Chicago. They're suspected of leading this operation. And in Marshall County, jurors in a Benwood firefighters trial watched body cam footage of a tense hour-long standoff with police on the first day of testimony. A bloody-faced wife led to the arrest of ex-fire chief Garson Taylor, who was accused of strangulation and reckless endangerment in the April incident. Both sides made their opening statements yesterday with the prosecution arguing he put the lives of those around him in danger, while the defense claimed he never threatened officers. Taylor reportedly fled from Sergeant Peter Barton and other officers in Benwood after his wife called the police and threatened to shoot himself multiple times. Sergeant Barton and others attempted to talk Taylor out of his truck before Taylor was eventually shot with a beanbag round to force him to drop his weapon. 7 News will be back in the courtroom today to bring you the very latest. And over to Ohio County, the lawsuit that aimed to prevent a deer hunt at Ogilvy Park was met with a motion to dismiss on Wednesday by the park and other parties being sued. The suit against Ogilvy Park and the Ogilvy Park Foundation and the Wheeling Park Commission is incomplete, according to the defendants. They argue that the plaintiffs, a group of Wheeling residents, failed to sue the following essential parties as well. The state of the Division of Natural Resources, the City of Wheeling, the Ogilvy Foundation Properties, Inc., and Park System Trust Fund. The hearing to decide whether to dismiss the case was supposed to happen today, but it has been since postponed. That was a look at your headlines. Have a fantastic Friday and a wonderful weekend. I'm Taylor Long, working for you. Devastating, emotional, and absolute gut punch as West Virginia loses on a Hail Mary. Houston knocks off the Mountaineers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Caridi. That story and more coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. Hello and welcome to The Kroger Show. At Kroger, everyone wins when it comes to saving big. Because when you order online through the Kroger app, you get the same great prices, deals, and rewards on pickup or delivery that you do in-store with no hidden fees or markups. Best of all, you'll know when items in your cart have a coupon, so you never miss a deal. So whether you're a delivery lover, picker-upper, or you shop in-store, you'll always save big at Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've completely overhauled our process to shorten the time from harvest to home, giving you more time to enjoy your tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So whether you're shopping in-store, picking up, or prefer delivery, we're committed to bringing you the freshest produce possible. Kroger, fresh for everyone. An absolutely devastating loss for West Virginia in its first ever Big 12 encounter with the Houston Cougars as the two teams went back and forth and Houston hits on a Hail Mary with no time remaining to defeat West Virginia by a final score of 41-39, to a 49-yard touchdown reception. That came after West Virginia had retaken the lead on a 50-yard touchdown reception to Martinsburg's Hudson Clement. Everything looked in position for West Virginia to have rallied for the victory, but a personal foul on sportsmanlike call against West Virginia on the Clement celebration touchdown forced WVU to kick the ball off from the 20-yard line. 
Houston began the drive from its 43, one pass completion to the 49-yard line, and then a Hail Mary throw from their quarterback, Donovan Smith. It gets bounded into the end zone by Joseph Manjack and Stephon Johnson, the transfer from Oklahoma State, with the ball with no time remaining into the end zone, and Houston fans stormed the field. So West Virginia sees its four-game win streak snap. The Mountaineers fall now to 4-2 and two. overall. They are 2-1 and one in Big 12 conference play, and they need a very quick turnaround as they get ready to return home next Saturday to take on the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. Gut punch for the Mountaineers. Final score, Houston 41, West Virginia 39. That is today's Mountaineer Report. It's brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. Need a new suit? Looking for a good book? Searching for a unique gift? The Ohio Valley's premier shopping choice is the Highlands. Find jewelry, hot new tech, arts and crafts, over two dozen stores to visit. From Walmart and Target to Cabela's, Menards, Kohl's, and Old Navy. Plan a day out of shopping, dining, and entertainment at the Highlands. At the top of the hill off I-70. See it all online at hitthehighlands.com. Broadcasting from the Ohio Valley, talking about the Ohio Valley. We're live and local. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Brought to you by WVU Medicine. I'm a traveling man and made a lot of stops all over the world and in every Well, he stopped at many a port over the last week or so in uh, northern Europe. Bill Bryson is here with us this morning. Bill, i got to tell you, I had several friends that were, I think, on that trip, and they were doing a lot of Facebooking, and, man, it looked like a, looked like a really it, enjoyable it, trip. It was. You know, that's one of the advantages of a, of a cruise. Uh, in addition to being, you know, a vacation in itself with the meals and entertainment and all that, uh, it's an opportunity to go see a lot of different places and then you can say, hey, I really like Scotland. I really liked whatever, Northern Ireland. I really liked Amsterdam. Uh, or if it's the Caribbean, one of the islands. And then sometimes people will go back and spend more time right. at that destination. And this one was uh, uh, 12 days. And it included, basically, we, they call it the Northern Europe Cruise. And uh, we started off in London and spent uh, a day. Some people spent two there before we... Uh, got on board the uh, uh, Norwegian Dawn and sailed out of um, Southampton, same place as the... Oh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wait, a minute. wait a minute. I know one ship that didn't do well oh, sailing out of Southampton, right, yeah. the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then our, our first port was, uh, we did three stops in Scotland. And the first one was near Edinburgh. Uh, it's called Queen's Ferry, Scotland, but it's near Edinburgh. We People picked out different tours and stuff. And I picked... Uh, uh, St. Andrews, the golf course. Golf course. Uh, we had some people that have gone there, and I, I needed to have a little bit better feel for what you know what it looked like. That Did they really have cool. a Bob Name Memorial Golf Hole there? <laughs> uh, that's where Bob got in trouble. Was it was that free trip to St. Andrews? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any uh, plaque okay. or anything to Bob, but um, if I'd known that, I would have looked a little harder. Uh, they have a on the 18th hole, actually it's the 18th fairway. 
there's a bridge, a stone bridge called the Swilkin Bridge, and that's where they do the uh, awards ceremony. And oh yeah, over I, wins I, the British I, I, Open. I've seen the that, British yeah. Open is played there every five years, and I think they were there maybe in 22, so whatever, 27. They'll be back there again. Anyway, so we got I got my picture taken on the bridge. You know, not that I uh, deserve to be. <laughs> did you did you have clubs with you there? You know, I did didn't. You? No, no. It was raining that day and everything, but I tell you, it was it was really just neat being on St. Andrews. I you would can think walk so. across the fairway and everything. It's a public court, public land, and um, there are some people there saying, "Hey, get out of the way!" Get out. They <laughs> <laughs> we were just walking across the course. You know, were you people know. golfing while you were there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, got, I was waiting to go across the course. Bob, who's that guy down there? There's a guy down there going across the course. And, you know, you got to wait till they tee off, and then you can walk across and all that. But uh, you can't do that anywhere else. But that, that was that was really, uh, really interesting. I think that'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. And then there's a there's a beach there. It's called, um, let's see, West Sands Beach. That is where the um, the running scenes from Chariots of Fire was filmed. Dum, 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 dum. Am I doing that right, Bob? Is that, is that yeah, close? That's it. That's close it. to it? And uh, it, it, it really looked neat. It got some neat pictures there. And um, St. Andrews is, is the oldest golf course, um, seven, uh, 1754. Um, it wasn't the first one. There was actually one built, I think it was in Edinburgh or something, maybe 10 years before. I don't think that one's still around. But... Um, to what to is it 250 200 almost 275 years now wow. st andrews has been there and it cost about 325 or 340 dollars something like that to golf at uh, st andrews really i should say yeah yeah for like um, a, for eight, do 18 holes you got 300 yep. bucks yeah that's hey bob going to golfing i'll be the caddy i'll carry the club <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. uh the actually in comparison the i looked it up the oldest golf course in the United States is in Pennsylvania and it was uh, 1887 oh. so this was 130 years later before the first uh, golf course came to America it is a reminder of the of the history of golf though how far back golf yeah goes. and that's yeah. this the, the shops and the you know how, where people stayed in the hotels and how it's 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 it's, it's an old looking community but very uh, very interesting I gotta ask you this question you were in Scotland Scotland did you see Nessie well, Did you see the Loch Ness monster? I didn't. Ah. I went looking for it, but <laughs> our our second stop um, was the uh, the Urquhart Castle, which was kind of neat. Uh, castle ruins. It sits right on Loch Ness. Ah. And so I got some pictures and all that, and we scouted it around. The Loch Ness is actually about 23 miles long, and it just it looks like a wide river. Right. Um, this, but, the pictures uh, I've seen look like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they play it up, you know. Nope. <laughs> I mean, come on, couldn't you, if you get up there high in the castle, can't you look out and see? It's, surely tried. you can see. I no, tried. Nessie? No, Nessie. No big hump popping up or a head popping out of the ocean? Nothing? nothing. Oh, man. Nothing. Nothing. But uh, it was interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that we went there. The, the going through the old castle ruins, they got some good pictures there as well. And then uh, pictures of the, again, it's a lake, you know, a <laughs> 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 lake with no monster. Um, but that was kind of neat. And then one of the, the next stops in Scotland was the Orkney Islands. That's up north of the mainland of Scotland, and um, that was that was pretty cool. There are 70 islands. 20 of those are 70 are inhabited, and the other 50, I guess, are not. And the guy said, you know, there's a lot of question here about what's an island and what's not. The way they define an island is if there is enough grass for one sheep to graze for one day, it's an island. If not, it's a rock. <laughs> 
So does, does Wheeling Island count then, Bob? I don't know. <laughs> I would, I've never seen any sheep over there, but I think it does. <laughs> uh, speaking of sheep, there are more sheep in Scotland than there are people. Really? Yeah, by a good, good number. <laughs> so all along, it's beautiful. The, the grass is beautifully green. It's green, green grass, yeah. And, you know, uh, livestock almost on every uh, every vacant <laughs> lot and all that. So it was re- it was really really kind of neat. Uh, from there, we went to uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, and my t- tour was the Giants Causeway. And these are rock formations that have continue, I guess, to to develop or or, or, or be unearthed maybe. But it's amazing. They look like they are precisely cut squares and stuff like that. Really, uh, really interesting. It's you got to go down a hill to get down there. It's about three quarters of a mile. In fact, <laughs> we a lot of us walked down and then walked back up. And <laughs> when I got back up, I the walking asked, down one too far. Too bad. I asked the guy. I said, "How far is it to walk down there?" And he said, "About three quarters of a mile." I said, "How far is it to walk back?" <laughs> about seven. <laughs> it seemed that way, but it was uh, that was definitely uh, definitely definitely worth the trip to uh, Giants Causeway. Um, we didn't get to go to Dublin. Uh, Belfast for a second. Yeah. When I think of Belfast, I think of the IRA and the fighting that went on in there. Uh, reminisce. I mean, there are there memories of that there, uh, memorials of that there? Um, he talked about that and really kind of gave an overview and how the war started and ended and why and all this kind of stuff. Um, Interesting, but no, it's not not anymore. You know, I'm not sure I yeah. want to know, but I just yeah. when I think but of Belfast, that's what I think. Yeah, me of. Too, me too. Me uh, too. Uh, but yeah. you know, you're not going to be uh, you know uh, attacked by the uh, IRA while you're there or anything. That's that's long gone. In fact, the Great Britain and um, is defined as England, Scotland, Wales, Wales. and Northern Ireland. Oh, okay. The Irish, the Republic of Ireland is a separate, separate country. country. Mm-hmm. So he did tell us the story. How did that come to be? And I guess when Ireland got its independence maybe 100 years ago, Great Britain wanted to keep the six northernmost counties, partly because it was the northernmost and it was some protection uh, against maybe any enemies. So they held on to the six northern, Northern Ireland, and then everything else became a separate, now free country. Uh, but I got to stop and think about everything. Now, which one of these is Great Britain and which one's not? But right. Northern Ireland, along with. Northern Ireland is Great Britain. Great Britain, the along Republic with of Ireland is, is separate. Ireland, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Amsterdam was next. Amsterdam is uh, below sea level, which is, I think, why all the uh, canals. That's always a, an interesting tour of Amsterdam. Um, the Heineken Brewery was there. The, uh, it's celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. That is the world headquarters for Heineken, even though they don't brew the beer right there, uh, I think, in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, 30% of the Heineken beer is consumed in the U.S., <laughs> Forty-one uh, percent of that is in, uh, consumed in Europe. Uh, I got to ask you: Did you go to any of those um, places with the windows there in uh, Amsterdam? The ladies dancing in the windows. I didn't see any of those. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> and well, Frank's house is is along one of I those was, canals. I, I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I just read maybe in, in some of your preview stuff. I I didn't realize that Anne Frank's house was there. Uh, you have to make a, an appointment to go. You can't just walk in like a normal tour. But I. W- on one of the canal tours we did earlier 
previous years, we went by it. And so there it is right over there. Um, again, a lot of people that go to Amsterdam do want to you know, spend some time at the Anne Frank house. When uh, we did the um, Rhine River cruise, mm -hmm. final stop was Amsterdam. I got sick, so the rest of my friends and the group went to Amsterdam. I ended up staying in the stateroom, and uh, so I missed Amsterdam. And I really, everybody said you really should have gone there. It's really it's something different. It is, it is different, and uh, again, some good pictures of the canal. I might have gone to the places with the windows. With the windows. <laughs> just, I'm just saying. Just, just curious. Just, huh? you know, was Bob Nays right? Bob said, did you go to the place with the windows and the women the windows? No, I didn't go there. One of my favorite spots was uh, Bruges, Belgium. Uh, it's the home of the Bruges Madonna. Um, in the movie uh, ch uh, uh, George Clooney was the star and uh, the name of the movie escapes me, I'll think of it. The Germans took a lot of the history from European countries like Belgium. Monuments Men is the name of the movie. And they stole it and then hid it during World War II. Um, I now I remember that. There was a yeah. group that was assigned to go and get them back. And The Monuments Men is a great movie. And I think the maybe the last piece to be recovered was the Bruges Madonna. And uh, Michelangelo's statue, and it's there in a, in a church. And we went in to see that. That was, that was pretty impressive, knowing the history of Michelangelo's statue built in, well, constructed, I guess, in 1500 and then uh, stolen by the Germans and then recovered by the Americans in World War II. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was pretty cool. But in, in addition to that, Bruges was an um, old-looking town, but really kind of interesting. Again, they've got canals and they've got uh, everything, uh, churches, and it's just, it, it was a really neat stop and I think my, probably my favorite. And then uh, our last stop was in France. People went all sorts of different places. Um, I uh, ended up in... Um, uh, Monet's Giverny, uh, which is uh, his home <coughs> and gardens, and uh, we went through the gardens, got some good pictures in the gardens and all that sort of thing as well. Uh, and then uh, Rouen in France, which is the home of Joan of Arc, and there's a Joan of Arc church there now, and um, that, was, that was pretty impressive too. Now, each, each of these ports probably had three, four, five different Alternatives. So you were you shared with us where you went. Uh, that's where I went. You know, I'm, we're going to do a collage like we always do, but I don't know what to put in there because my you know eight tours were not the same as everybody, everybody else's. So I'll try to get something that's kind of. You had a big group. Really big group on this one, yeah. And uh, it was it was complicated because it it started out small, and then people said, "Okay, can I go a day early? I'm going to go two days early." Uh, <coughs> we had I think four different flights going over and back. We had. There were eight different transfer vehicles in Wheeling just getting people to the airport and back at the right <laughs> times. So, yeah, but it was, a, it was a big group, and I think everybody really enjoyed it. Like I said, we didn't get to go to Dublin. I think that was one of the uh, disappointments. But um, uh, they tender in Dublin, and it was rough seas, and they didn't want to take a chance, somebody getting hurt, you know, on that tender. But a good trip. Very good trip. Very My daughter-in-law said she met you. She did at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. She said, are you Bill Bryson? I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be good. <laughs> yeah, we chatted for a little while, and uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of neat. She was on her way to Europe, and uh, yeah. She yeah. texted, she said, Does Bill, is Bill Bryson a, a kind of stalk, skinny guy? With the, but I said, that's him. He's, uh, uh, he's here. I said, well, go, go up and <laughs> go, say hello. Go say hello. Up I'm and glad say hello. You, I, I told her I was glad she did, and uh, we did get the chance to talk to her. 
Uh, be, be, uh, go ahead. Are we wrapped up with Northern Europe? Yes. Before we go on to some other stuff, we've got about five minutes left. I, I want to ask a couple of um, contemporary questions. You guys have any problems with people in Israel? Are you having trouble getting people out? Or people? Do you have anybody there? We're n we don't have any problems that, that I'm aware of okay. right now with somebody either going there or coming back from there, whatever. Okay. Um, and um, tell me 30 seconds about changing the parade route. There's no parade route in town. I mean, it's not like we chose to do that. It's like uh, you can't come up Market Street. Chaplin, I, I tried that last year. Chaplin is not an option because it is a secondary highway or something, and the state's not going to release Chaplin Street. So we can't say, well, just go up Chaplin. I want to go up Chaplin and come down Main. And uh, last year, and they said, you can't, we can't give you Chaplin Street because now you've got three, three streets, Tyler can't do that. The Anymore, you can't do go down that. Main anyways. Well, and then you got, no, and it, it, now the bridge down there on 20th Street, it's, it's uh, not available. They made exceptions last year. Let's use one lane. Uh, that's out. So it's like you can't go north of 20th Street. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to have a parade, you're going to have to come up with something else. And the Wheeling Police Department uh, did, and uh, the idea is going to be we're going to, we're going to flip the staging area instead of we use the same 20 to 23rd street but we'll come out the bottom come out 23rd street and head now south for a, a bit uh and then over to main street and then up that long stretch on on main street i think we we kind of did our little math and got about seven tenths of a mile so it's still a pretty decent straight relatively smooth um and it looks like uh you know, for this year, it's the best option. Well, it's, it, basically, it's going to be a center wheeling, south to center wheeling as opposed to north to downtown wheeling. Yeah. And, and listen, given the, I was thinking about today as I'm driving down Main Street coming in here, so I, I, you know, that's not the right best place for a parade anyways. Yeah, and you got, you got uh, room on both sides of Main Street coming up there for people to stand or put their lawn chairs or whatever. And people in town are going to be upset, but, I mean, it, don't be upset with us. It's, it's, it's that or nothing. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even want to get into it. There, there was a, a whole thread on one of the social media pages, and everybody's complaining about it. One lady says, well, I have always stood in this same place for all my life, and if I can't stand there to watch the parade, I'm never going to the parade again. Well, you can go out and stand there this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can stand there. And listen to it on the radio. There's, there's no parade. There's no, there's no parade. There's, it's, by, it's not an option. It, it, it's gone. It, it, you know, can't, can't do that. Got two minutes left, and I, don't, I, I just want to touch on that. I, I know there's some things you want to make sure that you know because some changes and stuff coming up that you want people to know about. Uh, yeah, first of all, October 28th, uh, 12 to 3 is the travel show. We have more suppliers, probably 17 or 18 suppliers this year than we have ever had. Uh, and again, it's a chance to talk to somebody. You know, if you're still trying to formulate a, maybe a couple of uh, vacation ideas, these are people that are, are specifically into one one thing. So we've got a lot of them coming, and um, that's that's going to be a good thing. October 30th, we still have a few seats left on the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey game. Um, give us a call if you're interested in the Pens. The uh, December 3 to 7, that's that Texas trip, and I, I'm going to be taking that one. Um, we actually added a uh, Marie Osmond concert on that trip. Um, two nights in Dallas at the Gaylord Texan, and then on to uh, Fort, we'll see Fort Worth for the, the uh, Longhorns, down to Waco for the Magnolia stuff, and then on down to uh, San Antonio. So that is December 3 through 7. Um, and again, we just put in a, a, a Marie Osmond Christmas concert at the Majestic Theater there. And right. we're pretty much out of time. Uh, we can talk about some more of this stuff next week. And again, travel show though the 28th. Um, I know Nancy and I were starting to look at the 
the current flyers that are out, but I know you have some new and different stuff at the show. Right. The mailer, the mailer covered uh, Christmas and some of the sports things into early next year, but there's a lot more out there. And we'll be coming to that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. Good to have you back. It's 9 o'clock. FM 97.7 AM 1370 WVLY Moundsville. From ABC News. I'm Derek Dennis. An unprecedented evacuation. Almost half the population of Gaza told by Israel to get out ahead of an expected ground invasion against Hamas.